0: Welcome once again to Inside DC, the podcast of the Aaron Fox DC business and policy practice. My name is John Bowker and I'm the practice group leader of the government relations group here at Aaron Fox. As always, my guests today are my colleagues, former at large DC council member and Aaron Fox partner, David Grosso and senior government relations director, Oliver Spurgeon. Next week, the council returns from a long summer recess. So today I'm gonna talk to David and Oliver about what the council accomplished prior to the recess and what is on the council's agenda for this fall. So David, let me start with you. Recess is coming to an end. And before the recess, the council passed the mayor's FY22 budget, largely intact, but with a few significant amendments that caused quite a stir. A tax increase and a cut to the mayor's request for more police, probably being the two biggest that got the most attention. So how would you describe those amendments and what is their impact?
1: Well, John, it's good to be back, and I'm excited that the council is coming back into session next week, and I know that everyone is looking forward to a productive fall. The budget this year was delayed, as we all know, and ultimately passed in August. This is the new fiscal year for the District of Columbia, starting on October 1. The council did make some significant changes, as you noted. One of them that I think is really popular is a full funding of full-time school librarians. So now every single school in the District of Columbia will get a librarian. They also put uh, six plus million dollars into violence prevention programs, really moving away from the mayor's desire to increase the police force and moving towards alternative programs that are supported by the Attorney General, the Office of the Neighborhood Safety and Engagement and other folks. The big number is the $41 million that they included for excluded workers. Uh, so that was an increase. They added another $6 million towards the end of the budget process. Um, they also did something that I think you know, many people will be very supportive of. They increased the paid leave benefits. So um, they increased the number of weeks that you can get for self-care. Um, this is something that you know, folks had already been pushing. It went from two weeks to six weeks. And they began to expand all three categories of paid family leave up to 12 weeks. Um, They put $50 million into public housing repairs, which is just a drop in the bucket, but something that's vitally necessary. And then you mentioned the tax increase. You know, they did increase taxes for the wealthiest earners in the District of Columbia. And that money is going towards priorities that the council laid out that include, you know, things like making sure that homeless people, especially folks that are chronically homeless, can more quickly get into housing that's stable. Um, this is, you know, we're talking about stable housing for over 2,000 residents in the District of Columbia. Um, they also increased wages for toddler educators, for early ed folks, um, and they expanded the D.C.'s uh, earned income tax credit. So um, was this uh, tax increase necessary? I know that's going to be your, uh, your million-dollar question and, you know, really is a question about more whether than not, a million. Yeah, a lot more million. <laughs> you, know, it, you know, it's whether or not we wanted to move these priorities up to a a quicker on a quicker pace. I mean, I think the council would have done all of these things over the long haul, but there wasn't the money in the budget to do these things. And I think, especially trying to remove or completely eliminate chronic homelessness for adults, this was what they felt like they had to do. So it's you know, it is what it is. It's been done now. It's going to bring in an extra. million per year for the next four years. Uh, So that's a significant chunk of money.
0: Yeah. And the council also cut uh, the mayor's request for more police. What do you make of that?
1: Well, John, you know, the council and the mayor have been going back and forth on what the solution is to the increase in violent acts in our city. You know, we have had more shootings. We've had more people getting murdered. And so the question is, what is the solution? And I think the mayor strongly believes that more police is a big part of the answer. And the council strongly believes that alternative to policing approaches like, uh, you know, neighborhood based nonviolent interrupters, uh, neighborhood based credible messengers and folks like that are the answer. Uh, they've been going back and forth. Sure. You know, council Member Allen, um, the mayor, even the police chief has been getting involved. And I think the council said, you know, we're not going to just jump right in and increase the number of police officers. I think they had a pretty in-depth debate around whether or not they could even hire more police officers if they put the money in there, because, you know, it's not a responsible approach to hire up really fast in the police department. You want to do it deliberately with qualified people over a period of time. So there's going to be money there. I think they're going to bring in 50 more police officers almost immediately uh, and then expand that over the next couple of years. But this is a, gosh, this has been a debate going on since uh, I was a staffer on the council back in the late 90s and early 2000s.
0: And, of course, informed by the Black Lives Matter movement and the defund the police movement. You know, here at home, we're talking about those things as well as a big national debate.
1: That's right, John. And it's good that we're having these conversations. And I'm impressed with the council and the mayor for pushing what they believe in these areas. You know, in the end, the public has been also weighing in pretty big. You know, there are big parts of our community that want more police. There are others that don't. And it's one of the more complicated Policy debates that I've ever seen, and something that, frankly, nobody really knows the answer. I heard an article the other day on violent interrupters. Been around since early '80s, and it's still out. The data is out on whether or not they actually have a big impact. And you know, I think the answer, really, from my perspective, is that it's both ends. You have to do all these things. You have to have police there, but you also have to have community-based approach that actually listens to the community, works with the community to provide safe spaces and to provide consequences when people aren't willing to participate in society in a safe and and healthy way.
0: So you anticipated my next question about whether or not the tax increase is necessary. And as you well know, um, many in the business community and many of our uh, clients um, opposed uh, the tax increase, particularly because the American Rescue Act uh, passed by Congress makes over three billion dollars available to the district for COVID response, which, of course, is you know a once in a generation, maybe a once ever, you know, sort of uh, opportunity. So, so what kinds of choices did the council make in the allocation of the American Rescue Act money, and and how long can we rely on that money, and when does it run out, and what do we do then?
1: Well, the the COVID money is the money that actually runs out, John. And that's really, I think, a fear that people have is there's going to be a fiscal cliff after a few years of COVID money. And so, you know, the council, I think, could have waited to raise taxes. And I think we would have been okay in the city. Um, The challenge is there was a lot of pressure from folks to to build back better, uh, to take a a national phrase and apply it here in the District of Columbia. Uh, They didn't want to just go back to the same old way of doing things. And so they decided to increase taxes on individuals earning over $250,000 in income per year. Um, And that money is going to be used to further expand uh, permanent supportive housing and other programs to provide stable housing for over 2,000 residents who have been facing chronic homelessness. Um, That is a big deal. Um, These are, you know, folks that uh, we realize now after studying it more and more that Many, many, many of these folks are dealing with complicated mental health issues, with complicated life circumstances who need permanent supportive housing, Um, that rapid rehousing programs just aren't going to do it. Um, This also does, like I said, provide increased wages and expands D.C.'s earned income tax credits. Those are the three main things that it does. The challenge is how do we solve a problem in the future if we've already gone to this particular well for a solution? Maybe we should have waited, given the fact that we had COVID already in line and we had all this money from the federal government. That was the biggest argument against it was, wait, do this when it's absolutely necessary for the economy to thrive. The opposition to that argument, which are the advocates who won in this regard, basically said, no, now's the time to solve these problems and we need to build back better today.
0: Yeah, and we have a much more progressive council that uh, seems to be receptive to those kinds of arguments.
1: Obviously. I mean, I when I was on the council last year, I voted against the tax increase because I didn't think it was the right time. The woman that replaced me on the council, Councilmember Christina Anderson, decided to vote with them this year. And in fact, you know, that is a part of the deal. I mean, the, the society and the communities that we represented are, are, are changing and we
0: have to be responsive to that. And I think the council was. Thanks, David. So let me turn to you, Oliver. And as always, I turn to you to ask about the impact these policy decisions have on D.C. residents and businesses. So what do these policy choices and funding decisions made in the council's revision of the budget actually mean for the folks who live and work here? And who would you say are the winners and losers in this budget round?
2: So this budget is really, really complex and comprehensive. There's a lot in there for people who are workers who are trying to grab the next rung on the, on the financial ladder, folks who are really harmed during the COVID pandemic, and also trying to regain their footing as well. And there was also some additional assistance for businesses. You know, as you know, John, much of our economy is really driven by nightlife, by entertainment, and by Folks going out, spending dollars at bars and restaurants and in the arts. And there was a good bit of money, about $88 million, to help those businesses who have outstanding back rent from the pandemic. Unfortunately, some of those businesses didn't receive federal dollars or the money that they received wasn't enough to help them recoup the losses that have previously occurred. And so the council did a really smart thing. They said, you know what, we're going to increase taxes on some high earners here, knowing that the folks that David talked about who make above $250,000 we're going to take a hit. But also in the back end, some of those folks probably saw on the business side some alleviation if they ran a bar or a restaurant or in the arts because they had some outstanding back rent as well. So the council is pretty smart about trying to squeeze on both sides of the balloon here and both help businesses on one hand. And then for the folks who have to pay, probably run those businesses that have done pretty well and to kick in a little bit more. But it's going to a good place in helping out with early childhood education and homelessness prevention. I like to always turn these sorts of discussions and dynamics as sort of the wealthy versus workers, right? There's this dynamic that folks who did pretty well during the pandemic could afford to kick in a little bit more to help out the working class here in the district. Well,
0: and particularly uh, those initiatives that will help, you know, small businesses and help restaurants, help the arts. I mean, it's all very important sectors of our economy.
2: John, you know, there's been this long running dynamic and discussion about how difficult it is to start and run a business here in D.C. because of the administrative heading, because it's hard to deal with government agencies and D.C. R.A. is notoriously complex to navigate for businesses. So the council has really sort of pushed through this dynamic about, breaking down DCRA, making it easier to access, and helping businesses navigate the system so that they can stay open. It's one thing to have a financial crisis because the economy collapses, and it's another to have a financial crisis because you can't get through to the government agency you need to. And so there's both some easing of some of that administrative burden as well for businesses.
0: And that breakup of DCRA is something that Chairman Mendelssohn has been pushing for a long time.
2: Yeah, yeah. it's been a, a longstanding priority for him. And I'm sure, you know, as much as you heard some gripes from people who run businesses about the tax hikes, uh, I imagine they were pretty happy about the effort to break down some of those silos.
0: Yeah. And we see that the city is starting to open back up a bit. David and I uh, went to the Ramy Awards, the annual awards celebrating the restaurant community here in D.C. And, you know, it was a very large room at the convention center and there were You know, lots and lots of folks there, hundreds and hundreds of folks there, and and everyone was socially distanced and wearing masks and you had to prove you were vaccinated Mm -hmm. to get in. But I think it was really important for the restaurant community to be able to come together and to, you know, celebrate that they had weathered the storm, those who had, and to think about those who had not. And so I'm hopeful that we are going to start to see folks coming back downtown and, You know, here at Aaron Fox, you know, folks, more and more folks are coming to the office and, you know, everyone's being safe. But we're also mindful of the fact that we have to continue to be able to grow the economy in the District of Columbia and to continue to reopen. Okay, um, enough of looking at the past. So now why don't we turn to the fall agenda for the council? So there's a great deal of unfinished business with respect to education, COVID economic relief, reopening D.C., as I just mentioned. So. David, let me ask you, in your years of work as both a council member and a council staffer, the council doesn't, you know, disappear during the summer. There's a lot of work that gets done. So what did the council do during the recess and what's going to be on the agenda this fall?
1: John, this is the opportunity now in the fall for the council to dig into some policy matters. They move away from budget and move into more policy and legislative work. And so this is when they start having hearings, passing laws. And this is the first year of a two-year council session. So they're not really going to be pressured to get it done by the end of the year. So these are really more of the in-depth hearings that will happen. And what happens during recess, although this year's recess was truncated pretty severely, so there wasn't a lot of time. But mostly what happens is there's a lot of work being done on research and benchmark Marking policy ideas by the staff who then can produce legislation. And just some of the hearings that are coming up that I think will be hot topics in the fall, you know, other than the fact that there's going to be legislative meetings, which we have one next week is the first one after recess. Each month, there'll be committee of the holes. You have a hearing coming up on safe passage to schools, which is, I think, incredibly important. You have lots of different hearings on pandemic recovery. You know, Basically coming back from it. How's it going in the education? Uh, the chairman already had one on education last week. There'll be more on those. The more on on the health impacts. You know, the Department of Health is going to come in through the Committee of the Health, led by Vincent Gray, to talk about the pandemic recovery. There's a big hearing this fall on the Department of Forensic Services. I know this sounds a little wonky, but the reality is, is it's been falling apart and they really need to figure out what's going wrong. And I think it's great. The council is going to look into it. Another big hearing is going to be on all of the redistricting. This is the census year. So just like every other jurisdiction, the D.C. Council has to look at where the borders are, of the wards in the city, make sure that they're representing people fairly so that there's eighty5 85,000 person per ward. That's a, a big task that they have to undertake. There's a, a hearing on cannabis policy something that i've been trying to get them to do since 2013. finally on november 19th there's a hearing on medical cannabis bill that the mayor introduced as well as on a recreational cannabis bill that the chairman introduced and last on education matters you know there is a big hearing this fall on aussie independence so this is kind of wonky as well but the office of the state superintendent of education is an agency that is under the mayor right now does a lot of important tasks around accountability around grant making around supporting early ed around supporting adult charter schools does transportation for special needs students i mean it's a big job and there's going to be hearing on two bills that would take it out of the control of the mayor and either make it independent or put it under the control of the school board. This is something that's very controversial. It might go into things around mayoral control of the schools and the governance structures. It's going to be a big hearing that we're going to need to pay attention to. And I think we will see kind of where the council is on the future of school oversight moving forward when it comes to data and other things. And finally, just a quick note, they are having a hearing next week on the renaming of Wilson High School. The big news is that they're considering naming it Wilson High School. So, you know, major changes over at Wilson High School. They're going to move it from a racist president, Woodrow Wilson, into an amazing playwright, August Wilson. And so it's a real great opportunity. I think DCP has made a good decision. Leave it as Wilson, but name it for somebody who we all admire and really made great
0: strides for our African American community in the arts. Yeah. Well, my daughter, as a proud graduate of Wilson High School, is fully supportive of the change. And and even though August Wilson wasn't from D.C., he's very well known in D.C. In fact, our client Arena Stage several years ago did the entire cycle of Wilson's plays in each of the decades that he wrote a play about. And it was really extraordinary to see them all sort of in a row. And other theaters, you know, around town have always championed Wilson. So I think it's terrific they're making that change. So David, you talk about this year as sort of a research year and hearing year on some very important issues, not so much a year to pass legislation because the council is rolling over into next year. This council doesn't end at the end of this year, but of course, next year, is an election year, right? And a big one here in D.C. The mayor is up for re-election, the attorney general, several council seats are up for grabs. So if this year is the hearing year and next year is the year that uh, folks will be looking to pass legislation, how does that dynamic of having these major political changes potentially on the horizon, how does that affect the agenda?
1: Oh, John, I mean, I think it's going to throw a wrench into those gears left and right. It's going to be so hard to manage because you have, you know, Lots of movement going on already. We know that Councilman McDuffie from Ward 5 is not running for re-election in Ward 5. We know there's a number of people that have jumped into that race that are fixing to try to make their case to be the next Ward 5 representative. We don't know what Councilman McDuffie's doing. We're not sure what the attorney general's doing. Carl Racine has filed to run again in his seat, but he has been rumored to also want to run for mayor. The mayor's up. You know, she is up on the agenda. Chairman Mendelssohn's up and uh, got a person to file against him for more 4, which I hadn't seen in a few years, which is fascinating. You know, this is a time when people are going to be looking to be most appealing to the voters, right? I mean, this is what happens when there's an election. Everyone turns and says, well, how does this impact me and my election to, to get back on the council or to get on the council? And so, uh, yeah, I mean, you could see bills that are really important get delayed until the next council period entirely. You could see other ones get fast-tracked to get done before the end of this year, so it's not right in the middle of the election season. But, you know, if you're asking me, I would say that June is the primary, so we're already in the election season. So I think we'll see some, as my former boss, and uh, may she rest in peace, Sharon Ambrose used to say, these are the crazy times,
0: and anything can happen will happen. So you just have to be ready, put on your seatbelt, and see where it goes. Right. So was it a surprise that Kenyon McDuffie, for example, said he's not going to run for his seat again? I mean, that, of course, is the early one now that everyone is looking at, because a bunch of folks in the wake of his announcement have indicated that um, that they'd like to run. And it's probably going to be a big, crowded field for, you know, an important seat in the city and a very important part of the city. Was that a shock or was that kind of expected?
1: I don't know. I mean, everything to me, I try to predict and it, it always seems to go wrong. So I'm going to say it was a shock. Uh, you know, the fact is you can't tell what somebody's going to do until they say what they're going to do. And that's just the way you should live your life, in my opinion. And, you know, in this regard, uh, I have a lot of respect for Councilmember McDuffie. He and I have been longtime friends and I live in Ward 5. So I have an interest in knowing kind of what's going to go down here. Um, like I said, we have three big time players. We have the president of the state board, we got the head of the Ward Five Democrats, and we have Faith Gibson Hubbard, who used to be the student advocate and has been working for the mayor as the head of her community affairs office for the past six, eight months. And before that, she was the head of the Birth to Five coalition that the mayor created. I mean, so she's got her own name recognition that's out there. So, you know, when Christina Henderson won her race two years ago, a year and a half ago, there was 24 people in the race. And, you know, that was a vacuum that was created because I said I wasn't running and I stepped down to make space for other people to run. And so it just means you have to work harder. It also is important to note that public financing is now available. So you don't have to be known. You don't have to be out there pushing your name in, this, in the old school circles. You can go out and talk to your friends and say, hey, if y'all give me 50 bucks, I, if I get enough of you to do it. I can be viable enough to actually put up a campaign. And that, to me, is important. You know, I'm proud of that law. I passed it and, you know, I I introduced it and got it passed and funded. And I think that's something that, you know, the city can be proud of because it gives access to the ballot to people that normally didn't have access. And that, I think, creates a better democracy over the long run. And so we'll see what happens, John.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting year. That's for sure. Okay, Oliver, let me turn back to you and bring this back to The streets of DC and the everyday struggles of residents and businesses who are trying to come back from the pandemic. What would they like to see on the council's agenda this fall?
2: Sure. So, you know, the school year is just in its infancy. And I'm sure, you know, as we go forward, we're going to see many hiccups along the way as parents and kids learn how to navigate the ups and downs of the COVID 19 pandemic. And I'm sure that's also going to suck lots of energy out of the chamber as legislators think about and marinate on the experiences of parents. They're going to hear a lot of feedback about what went well, what didn't, whether the air is safe, whether kids are getting sick. And so, you know, especially as we go into the fall and winter months, if we see cases start to inch up, you're likely to see the council pivot. David mentioned that this is an election year, and so they're going to be looking for issues that they can champion and looking to serve as sort of mouthpieces for what folks in the community and parents and families are talking about. So education is definitely going to be a priority. David mentioned earlier that, you know, we have seen a huge surge and uptick in violence and unfortunately murders as well. There's likely to be continued debate around police reform, whether we pour more funding into that, uh, whether we need to expand the number of police, where we police, how we police. And there's also been some efforts to try and also root out some of the other issues. There are some bills that have been put forward around rooting out white supremacy, and then also providing more transparency into how we monitor police interactions with citizens. And so these sorts of issues are simple. They're not very complicated. There's no nuance to them. And they're enough that people can campaign on them and champion them issues when they go to the ballot box later next summer. So there's a lot on the minds of voters. I think. A lot of this will also pretend to how people's economic fortunes are doing, too. For all the tax increases that we're talking about and all the supports that we're talking about, it'll be interesting to see how quickly those dollars either rise the tide in those boats for folks or whether they don't make a huge difference. And so that debate will also continue as we go into the election as well.
0: Yeah. And a critical issue that we haven't talked much about in this podcast today, but critically important, evictions, right? And the city council have passed sort of a, a bridge, a period of time, so that uh, the ban on evictions doesn't expire all at once. But still, a very critical issue, and a lot of folks. Looking to the impact of that, both housing advocates and folks in the access to justice community, and uh, and what effect that could potentially have on uh, folks who have been struggling. So, how do you assess that, Oliver?
2: Yeah, it's, it's a very worrisome situation. You know, our team has been discussing and been to several summits at the White House, talking about strategies to keep people in their homes, both here in the district and around the country. The mayor and the council have put forth the Stay DC program to help people who are behind on their rent and landlords who have tenants that haven't paid help them obtain some of that background as well. But what you're seeing still is that there's a lot of effort and a lot of paperwork involved. Unfortunately, too many folks who are behind on their rent don't know about the availability of money that the council received from the federal government and have put forward to help them stay in their homes. And so it's both very much a surge from legislators and community advocates trying to get this information in front of people, trying to keep them in their homes, and also an effort to educate people about the process and make it as simple as possible. It's both top-down and bottom-up to fix some of the administrative issues and make it easier for people to apply and for landlords to apply on behalf of tenants or to work with tenants, and then to make sure that people know that this money is available and it's not very very difficult to obtain because the goal is to keep people housed and keep them safe because unfortunately covid is still a very real danger to folks especially as we go into the colder months
0: absolutely and with all these important issues at the forefront the wilson building is still basically closed and meetings are still mostly virtual and so it is a challenge you know, for folks to be able to get in front of uh, council members, to get in front of folks in the mayor's office, to be able to talk about these issues. And obviously, we're doing everything we can to be a conduit, to be able to make sure that folks are heard and that a focus remains on these critical issues for the city. So, David and Oliver, thank you very much, as always, for your insights. This has been another terrific edition of Inside DC, the podcast of the Aaron Fox DC Business and Policy Practice. And we hope that you will join us for future podcasts. And please don't hesitate to reach out to us at Aaron Fox if there is any way we can assist you. Thank you.